Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Take Action. I am Pastor Keon Henderson. I am so privileged to give leadership to the Lighthouse Church here in Texas. And let me tell you something. If you missed last week, do me a favor, watch this now, and then go back and watch last week because you would have missed so much power. I'm in a discussion about hidden progress and what do you do when you can't see God moving? <laughs> I know the Bible says stand still, but I am one of those pre preachers that understands that cliches don't build faith. Sometimes they, they weaken it. Sometimes a cliche will make you respond and say, okay, my mama told me that, but what can you tell me today? I am telling you that inside of your pain is a hidden progression of secrets and treasures that God is going to use to make you not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. Our opening scripture last week was Matthew 13 and 31, where the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. And as I was ending that message, um, our campus pastor, Pastor Hammond, uh, came up to me and he blew my mind with the revelation. But his revelation that he gave me on the spot doesn't resonate with me because I had no experience in the revelation. So he told me about a machine that when it is in the field emits a blue light on the weed and the wheat. Now, in order to get this language, I'm telling you, you're going to have to go back and watch the previous episode because I cannot waste your time with something you could go get. I want you to go back and get it so you can understand this language. But there's a machine that sprays uh, on the weeds and the wheat, and it only sprays uh, the poison, if you will, on the weed. And through light and substance, it knows not to spray the chemical on the harvest. I wanted to know how. Because obviously, even though the harvest and the weed are the same color, maybe the same height, even in the same vicinity, the light detects something that's in the grass that isn't in the weed. You see, one of the things you can do to make sure that you don't endure the same fate as people who are around you is make sure that something different is in you even if the same thing is on you. Just make sure that you intentionally are good inside because it rains on the just as well as the unjust. But what God releases on you is going to be different than what he releases on them because of what's in you. They're going to get chemical. You're going to get rain. You better write it down. You better write down what I just said. They're going to get the chemical. You're going to get the rain. Not, listen, you might have the same problems they got. You might have the same profanity issue that they have. You, listen, I'm going to be straight up. You might be struggling with pornography just like them. You might be struggling in your relationship just like them. You might be struggling in your finances just like them. You might have a past just like them. 
but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So if you got him in you, they getting chemicals, you getting rain. I want everybody online to just type, let it rain. Now, that was his revelation. Let me give you the one that resonated with me. I'm a golfer. I just love to play golf, okay? Recently, my, uh, my wife was getting her hair done, and I had just played golf, and she was getting her hair done. I said, baby, what you doing? She said, well, I just started getting my hair done. I said, well, baby, can I stay here? I didn't want to go home and, and, and watch her get her hair done for five hours, so I stayed at the golf course, and I played 36 holes of golf. And I'm in the golf cart. Listen, I'm at a nice golf course here in Houston, and it has a GPS system on it. So I'm driving the cart. And where I hit my ball, uh, was, it was left of the green in front of a sand trap. The sand trap was about 20 feet from the green, so I tried to drive to my ball. I know the rules. You know, you're supposed to be at least 30 feet from the green, but I tried to cheat. I tried to get close to my ball. Couldn't get there. The golf cart cuts off. Golf cart cuts off. I'm like, man, why did this golf cart cut off? I put it in reverse because, watch this, when I got too close to this area where my ball was, it stopped. The only function on the golf cart that worked was reverse. Only reverse. Forward didn't work. Only reverse. This happened several times. Round of golf is over. I get into the pro shop. I tell the golf pro, I said, man, this course is amazing. I want to be a member at this place. I love it. Where do I sign up? It's incredible. How often can I get a tee time? I said, it's only one problem. I said, man, y'all golf carts are sensitive. I said, man, I wasn't even going to drive up close to the green. I was going to get a little bit closer, but it cut off. He said, oh, yeah, we have it set that way. He said, because the wheels have grooves in them. And he says, see, the fairway grass is different from the rough grass, and, and the fescue, wh where this is, he said, that's different. And he said, the reason why the golf cart cuts off and doesn't let you drive in different locations is because the seed will get stuck in the wheel, and you'll have a weed in my fairway because if I let you drive where you shouldn't be, and then I allow you to drive where you should be, you will bring weeds into my grass. So he says that the GPS is designed to stop you short of contaminating the area. See, every once in a while, you will go off into a place and God will stop you and you'll wonder, God, why didn't you let me get revenge? Why didn't you let me get even? God says, because where I'm taking you, I don't need that over there, over here. So I stopped you just short of getting where you wanted to be so that I can keep you pure enough in the process to keep the future that I have for you beautiful. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but you need to be thanking God that he did not allow you to go as far as you wanted to go. He didn't allow, you, you felt that thing that you wanted to say something, but he came over you and said, shut your mouth, keep your tongue quiet, don't get even, don't, because God says, I don't need you bringing the weeds among the wheat. Let me handle that process because the only weeds I can take care of are the ones that have been afflicted to you by the enemy, those that are self-inflicted. I have to leave in my permissive will to teach you a lesson. Are you listening to me? 
because as we started off last week, the enemy only plants weeds among the harvest. I'm talking about hidden progress. Now, here's what the rule looks like in the world and in the Word of God. It's like a tiny, tiny, I want you to Google this, mustard seed. They are so small. Jesus says of himself that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds. That's not my words. These are the words of the master. It is the smallest of all seeds that were used in the Palestinian gardens in the days of Jesus. But watch this. And this is Matthew 13 and 32. He says, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants, listen, and becomes a tree. When I read that, y'all, I almost lost my mind. I almost lost my mind because most of you, like me, you start out as a mustard seed, and then you look at another seed of a lily or uh, 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 some other plant. I, I can't quantify it, but what I'm saying is you'll look at your start and you'll look at their start, and you will automatically assume because they started bigger, they're going to end up bigger. And God says what you didn't recognize is that you were actually shrinking your destiny because I started you off as a mustard seed, and I started them off as some other seed, and because they started off bigger than you started off, you automatically assumed that they were going to be bigger and better because they started off bigger and better. And what you didn't recognize is that even though you were a mustard seed and they were a flower seed and they started off bigger than you, here you are arguing with somebody who had a plant destiny and you had a tree destiny and you didn't recognize that in your small seed was a tree because you were measuring yourself up against a plant. I want you to stop measuring yourself up against somebody's beginning. The Bible says in Zechariah, despise not the days of small beginnings. Sometimes God starting you out small is the evidence that you're going to end up big. Okay? Despise not the days of small beginnings. If small beginnings were an indicator that you were going to end up small, then explain God in the form of the resurrected Savior, the incarnated God, God in the flesh, who started off in his mother's womb as a small microscopic egg, zygote, connecting with the seed of his heavenly father. Small enough to be inside of Mary's womb and large enough to have the world in his pocket. Small enough to come through Mary's birth canal, yet too big for eternity to consume him. 
the creator of the galaxy, is in the world and yet outside of the world, running the world, and also running worlds that we know not of. Only God has the duality to be that big and that small at the same time. And so if small means that I cannot be big, then the kingdom of Jesus contradicts that because Christianity started off with a virgin birth, spread to a couple disciples. The kingdom had a small beginning, but it would lead to a great and harmonious and glorious outcome. Can you see it? Can you see what started in Bethlehem but yet was controlling in eternity's past and in the future what was happening in wars all around the world? He knew what would be happening in North Korea and Russia and Ukraine and the UK and Somalia and, and, and Afghanistan and Iran and America, Japan. He knew all of that then and knows the outcome of the now there. I don't know if y'all getting this. And so he says that the kingdom of heaven is like this seed. And verse 32 lets us know that the kingdom has a small beginning, but we look at it later and it leads to a big end, which means this. And I want you to get this in your psychosis, in your psychology, in your, in your heart, mind, spirit, and soul. Put this in your kids. Put this in your son, put this in your daughter, put this in your nephew. If you are a grandmother raising your grandchildren, if you are a foster parent, if you have adopted children, if you are single and you pour into God children, nieces and nephews, whatever stage in life you are in right now, wherever you are teaching somebody, I want you to teach them that small beginnings don't eliminate large endings. Because something starts off small and insignificant is not a death sentence. The church that I am in right now, contrary to people's popular belief, started with five people. I was with a pastor the other day. He told me, man, didn't you start off with 500 people on your first day? I wish. I wish. But just like everybody else, I started all small. Did I have some advantages? Yes, because this wasn't my first assignment. Did I have some advantages? Yes, because I had mentors. And let me tell you something. The reason why so many people have small starts is because they start alone. If you stop starting alone, the Bible says wisdom is found in a multitude of counsel. If you stop starting alone, you won't always have to start small. Everything that starts off small 
in God's hand has an opportunity to be big, and small beginnings don't eliminate, eliminate large outcomes. Again, Zechariah 4 and 10, I want you to write this scripture down because it needs to be a memory verse for you. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Zechariah 4 and 10, say it again. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Say it again. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Say it one more time. Despise not the days of small beginnings. Look at how Jesus started off small. Look where he started off. He started off poor. Um, then, fast forwarding, he's put to death. Not only is this is significant, not only is he put to death. But the way he was put to death, you see, they crucified you to embarrass you. And then they put him in between two thieves to humiliate him and go read the scripture. And they put a sign above his head that says, this man said he was the king of the Jews. They mocked him. Look at that small beginning. And then after that, after they put him on the cross between two criminals. After that, about 120, uh, the Bible tells us, fearful followers uh, remained, and they met for prayer in an upper room. So now you got 120 scared Christians in an upper room praying. And to make matters worse, uh, his first few preachers, leaders, disciples, and teachers that he employed to push his, his gospel story out. He didn't hire rabbis and preachers. This guy, Jesus, he hired fishermen. He hired fishermen and publicans and, um, you know, who, who, were, who were for the most part unskilled, probably uneducated in some cases, men who... Wanted to do something, just didn't know what to do. And everybody's laughing at this little boy from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, whose mama was pregnant at 17. Nobody can't find who his daddy is. He's embarrassed, put on a cross in between two criminals, two common thieves, and he got 120 members at the end of a three-year preaching crusade. <laughs> Y'all, I can't make this up. See, if you don't look at the Bible for what it really is, you, you'll be fooled. This man preached for three years, walked on water, healed blinded eyes, unstopped deaf ears, healed a withered hand, made a man who couldn't walk for 38 years pick up his bed and walk. And all he got after all those miracles was 120 members? <laughs> I got more than that after my first sermon. And that's all? Jesus, that's all you got to show for 40 days in the wilderness and an argument with the devil and being baptized in the Jordan River 
and an Adobe sound system came from heaven, and the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and all you got to show for three years of ministry is 120 scared people in an upper room. Jesus said, that's how you're going to look at it? <laughs> oh, boy, you got it all wrong. That's what you saw? No, let me tell you what I really had. I had 120 who would go find 240. I had 240 who would go find 480. And from there, you and I stand here in the corridors of time, millennia later, the benefactors of those 120 scared people in the room because you are not to despise the days of small beginnings. And I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but some of y'all are crouched in a corner right now with anxiety in your belly, scared about a decision that you have to make, and you don't think you have the money for it, and you don't think you have the size for it, and you don't think you have the education for it. And God says, that's exactly where I wanted you to be because I wanted it to start out small so you could see how big I am. And he now is our father and our intercessor from 120 member church scared with no faith in an upper room to now being able to preach on Sunday without opening his mouth. The first truth, the first truth that they were preached, listen to me, was the cross. He started off telling them, I'm going to die. And nobody likes a story that starts off with the crucifixion. What if I told you that if there is no cross, there can be no crown? That it is good that you are sometimes afflicted, that you might learn the statues of God. And that, yes, you're going to have to go through antagonizing moments. And yes, you're going to have stumbling blocks. And yes, you will feel foolish. And yes, you will have anger and depression and anxiety and sleepless nights and no appetite. And yes, all of that is still a part of the progression of your life. Stop thinking that it ain't God because it ain't good. He's in it all. Did you hear what I said? He's in it all. He's in it all. He's in it even when the child drops out of school. He's in it even when the x-ray shows a broken bone. He's in it when the CAT scan shows a spot. He's in it when the body is in pain. He's in it when the relationship looks like it's hanging on by a thread. He's in it when your mind is so foggy and so cloudy you can't think of what to do next. He's in it when the bill is bigger than the check. He's in it when the strategy escapes you and you don't know where to go next. 
He's in it because sometimes the progress is hidden inside of the dilemma. The first movements, listen to me, the first movements of the faith of God did not bring him a crown. It brought him persecution. Listen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know you're in a dog fight when the persecution that falls on you is big enough where it starts to fall on them, whoever them is. Because the persecution that fell on Jesus started falling on his disciples. You know the devil's attacking you when his attack on you affects the whole house. You know it when you're trying to keep it from the kids and they know something's going on. You know it when you get to the job and everybody at the job is going through a similar thing. You know it because it falls first on the leader and then to the followers and even the faith of the follower begins to be challenged. And those of you all who are watching me right now, sometimes you feel like a failure because you've told everybody else what to do with their faith. And now yours is small. You told everybody else what to do with their dilemma. And you don't know what to do with yours. What do you do? Thank you, Holy Spirit. When you planted the faith that was the size of a mustard seed, and when you went back to access it, it was still the same size. She thought that after a while, it would have grown. After a while, it would have matriculated. After a while, it would have blossomed, only to go back and find out that it was the same size as when you planted it. But I got a word from the Lord. And God says that just like he did the Christian faith, write this down and you tell your devil that I said it, that God says for those who are watching, take action right now, I'm about to do the same thing in their life that I did with the faith. He says, I'm about to spread them all over the world. You better start shouting at home right now because your small idea is about to be worldwide. God says, I'm spreading you so wide and so far that the day is coming where you will not be able to have a conversation, thank you, Holy Spirit, without hearing your invention, that you will not be able to have a conversation without hearing your idea. I prophesy that I'm speaking to the person who's going to invent 
the answer to cancer. I speak prophetically that I am speaking to somebody who is going to be able to bring the halls of Congress together, who's going to get the infighting out of our government. I speak that I'm speaking to the leader that's going to bring our nation back to God. And I pray that I'm speaking to somebody who will introduce this nation to the gift of the Holy Spirit. I prophesy that I'm speaking to somebody that started out in a small city, a small hamlet, a small town, and you thought that your invention, your idea, your thought process, your book, that it would never spread. But I speak right now that God is spreading you all over the world, and they will be talking about you for five generations. They will be, listen, thank you, Holy Spirit. You will make enough money this year for your family to spend for 10 generations. God says, I'm about to spread you all over the world. I wanted to quit, but I can't quit. I got to keep going. He says, I'm going to spread you all over the world. Somebody just put it in the chat. God spread me, spread me, spread me. I I want, I'm willing to be used. I'm willing to go through the persecution if you'll protect me. I'm willing to speak truth to power if you'll protect me. I'm willing to go through the valley of the shadow of death as long as you stay my shepherd. I'm willing, I'm willing to go through the tunnels. I'm willing to go through the fire if you'll stay with me. I'll go into the lion's den if you'll be my comforter and my king. Spread me, God. Spread my influence. Spread my my philosophy. Give me books so that I can spread my knowledge. Never, and I mean never, never be discouraged by small stuff. It may be small right now, but it is part of something much bigger. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we say that scripture right now, and we don't think about the fact that when Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, we say it now because we like, duh, Paul, who should be? But you've not considered the fact that when Paul said it, the church was small. <laughs> there were not 12 billion Christians that had lived throughout the history of time, when he said it, it wasn't but a few thousand folk who had called Jesus their Lord, and he wasn't ashamed when it wasn't popular. He wasn't ashamed when it was small like a mustard seed. He wasn't ashamed. There were no tele-evangelists when Paul said this. Paul had to make up his mind to say this when it wasn't popular. He said it about a small thing. Can you trust God? And be vocal about his power even when your thing is small. Hmm. I'm going to finish by giving you this. There is something in bread as we relate in our newfanged society. It's called yeast. In the days of scripture, they called it leaven. 
You ever heard that scripture where Solomon says a little leaven leavens the whole loaf? What he's saying is a little bit of yeast will make the whole loaf rise. You know, bread without leaven stays flat, hard, crispy. It won't rise without leaven. Now, Solomon also says that we are puffed up and is leaven because in the Scripture, leaven represents sin. Haughty, puffed up. But what leaven does in bread, when combined with heat in the dough, it causes a fermentation process, and, and you start to see the bread do this. And every time the leaven is added to the dough, it rises. I just want you to type in the chat, I'm rising, I'm rising, I'm rising. I'm in the heat, but I'm rising, all right? That ain't even my point. But I just want you to, I want to speak to your soul. Somebody say, I'm rising, I'm rising. Now, this is the point. Every time in the Old Testament, every time bread was made, a piece of leaven dough was put in storage. <laughs> Every time bread, bread was made, they just took a piece and they put it in storage. And when the next batch of dough was made, the leavened dough that was in storage was mixed into the new batch of dough. And when it was baked, it began to rise. I want you to hear me. Because God says, this is the revelation he gave me, a lot of you all have experiences. You've been through hell and high water. You've been fired. You filed for bankruptcy. You've been divorced. You've been to prison. You've been to jail. You've had your homes uh, uh, repossessed cars repossessed, homes foreclosed on. You've been through it all. And now you feel like you're on the shelf of life and God has forgotten about you. And God told me to tell you, I've just been saving you for the next batch. <laughs> I'm about to take you off the shelf and add you to what I'm doing in this season. I did not waste all of you in last season. I saved you for such a time as this. I speak prophetically in your life that God is about to take you off the shelf and add you to what he's doing right now. If you are at home, I want you to high-five your dog and say, God's about to add us. I want you to tell your husband, tell your wife, tell your child, call your girlfriend, your homeboy on the phone, and say, I ain't got time to explain, but God's about to add us. He's about to add us. And if you ever can find that song by Bishop Paul S. Morton, he says in that song, he says, Lord, whatever you're doing in this season, please don't do it without me. And I don't know who that word is for. God says, I'm not going to let you your season and your situation go unused. I'm about to add you to a fresh batch. I'm about to add you to a fresh season. I'm about to add you to what I'm doing right now. None of you will be wasted, and I'm about to use you in what I'm doing right now. Somebody say, God, use me. 
God's about to use you in the next season of what he's doing next. He's going to take you off the shelf, put you in the game, and make sure that all of the components in you, both good and bad, will be used for the glory of God. If you believe it, just type amen in the chat. Listen, thank you for being with me over these last couple of weeks as we talked about these hidden progresses that God weaves into our circumstances and situations. Jesus basically essentially says to us, just because you started out small and on the shelf doesn't mean that I don't have a plan to make you rise. I speak higher and higher and higher in your life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen, as we get ready to give, I want you to know that I am going to personally ask God to bring about a transformation in the area of your finances. That you start to see your wages and your salaries, thank you, Holy Spirit, and your investments, your retirement, I'm speaking rise. Faith, rise. Confidence, that's what we're sorting to, rise. Children, aptitude, intelligence, rise. You got that gift? But don't miss this moment. Miss, miss the next one, but don't miss this one. As I move towards greater, I will accept all divine ideas, thoughts and concepts, that will connect me to my destiny. I believe that what Jesus Christ has done for me is bigger than what anyone has, can, and will do to me. And because of his full gift, that small gift, out of that small gift, I will be able to lend to many nations and borrow from none. If you believe it, I want you to sanction it with a hallelujah. I pray it in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us on another Take Action. I'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. My name is Pastor Keon Henderson. I am the founder of an organization called Take Action Now. People are always direct messaging me and texting me and saying, Pastor, what are you doing? How can I be a part of what you're doing? And I know everybody doesn't want to be a part of the local church, but what if I told you I had a way for you to partner with me so that we can affect change throughout the world? Hence, Take Action Now a 501c3 nonprofit organization committed to advancing individual agency and social progress by protecting, strengthening, and uplifting the underserved and disenfranchised throughout the world. We're doing humanitarian things, teaching entrepreneurism, teaching home ownership, and institutional inequities, cultural deficits. We have our ear to the ground, 
and we need your help to make a difference. Whether it is making a sizable donation uh, to the estate of a young woman who lost her battle with cancer via the internet, and we were able to make a difference there, or whether it is in a underserved community in the Caribbean islands where the children were playing amidst rocks and glass, and we came in and broke ground recently on a park so that athletes and cheerleaders and young people in that community can have a safe place to stir up the gift inside of them. Whether it is paying the utility bills in cold climates for seniors or just helping basketball players get the proper uniforms of football players, it's just us making a difference through financial literacy and technological empowerment and mentoring services. This is what we do. And all I'm asking you to do is become a partner with me right now. And I want you to go visit takeactionnow.org. Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today.